Hi friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. When my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Welcome to Autism and Us. Today, I'm joined by Coralie. Coralie is a hairdresser who often cuts the hair of autistic children. Today, she talks to me about her son, Michael. Hi, Coralie. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast today. So we're going to be talking about your journey um, and with your son, Michael. So can you talk to me a bit about your life before Michael? What you were doing? Were you working? Were you not? What, what, was, what did your life look like before you had Michael? Michael was very much wanted. Um, I'd had five miscarriages before having him. Um, decided to have um, pregnancy later in life because I hadn't met the man of my dreams until later. Um, and can I just say, he is dreamy. Yeah, <laughs> he <laughs> is very dreamy. And a very good husband, a very supportive father. And... Um, we, I was working. Um, I have always been a hairdresser, um, trained at 18, etc., City and Guilds, Hairdressers Council. But my lung collapsed from bleach and I kind of came out of it for a while. Really? Um, I was just doing part time hairdressing, you know, um, doing privates here and there, friends. Was that family. a common thing then to happen? Yeah, the products in them days were quite bad. And I was selling advertising space. Anyway, when finally I did get pregnant, um, everybody was concerned with my age because I had Michael at 40. I was pregnant at 48 and had him at 49. Um, oh and God, everybody you... was a bit concerned about my hormones, etc. You look and... incredible. <laughs> Can I just say, this woman is like... <laughs> glamorous to the max so um, so everyone you. was concerned did you have to have like more tests because uh, I had tests to find out why I was miscarrying and they said I had antiphospholid lipid syndrome I was getting pregnant easy but not maintaining pregnancy um, which was very difficult at the time and um, after the last uh, miscarriage I was under Paddington Hospital I um, wanted to go there because it was under Professor Regan, the recurrent miscarriage clinic, okay. um, who looked after me from beginning to end and um, said that I have thick blood and the last pregnancy had died, uh, probably due to a thrombosis from the thick blood. So if I get pregnant again, I must take Clexane and I must take aspirin. And, and how was the um, pregnancy in itself? Pregnancy was great. I never felt sick at all. Um... I just felt this time I was going to carry on with this. I just felt all the care I was getting from St. Mary's and Baddington uh, was going to really help me. Uh, they scanned me every week to reassure me I was pregnant until I passed the first trimester. That must um, have been an amazing feeling as well. After yeah. And then through. in the last trimester, I developed uh, a rash. And actually it was um, a, 
a rash in pregnancy. It was called pemphigoid gestationosis. Oh. And it was a very itchy, irritating, autoimmune rash, right. which they did a biopsy and found out and said that it would go when I had Michael, and it did. Uh, I had a planned cesarean, again, due to my age, right. my age, last chance. And, and when, when, what day? Um, when? 25th of July, the day uh, Concord came down. And uh, 11.20, I had him uh, through cesarean, planned cesarean. And everything was fine. I, he didn't really latch on very well to the breast. I was finding breastfeeding quite hard. Um, so they're having to supplement a little bit. Right. Um, was he big, was, big baby, small baby? No, or just... very small. He was six pounds and he lost weight in the hospital. And one thing that is significant, and I know it's significant now, he did his meconium poo, which they have to do. Yeah. And then they weren't going to let me out of hospital until he went again. Uh, and he's always had problems with his bowel. And I think that's quite synonymous with autistic children. Five days later, bring him home. He was a lovely, sweet baby. He was a very good baby. And I remember um, everybody from work um, in the advertising company I worked out was lovely. And they bought, uh, they put together all these vouchers and they bought me a playpen for him. So that, you know, I, in case he was toddling around yeah. in danger. And it was ironic, really, because, you know, we just put the toys in the playpen. He never used it because he was late doing things. So, so sitting up. Sitting up and all those things. I mean, I had no yardstick. All I know is when the health visitor came, she said, oh, he's losing weight. We need to supplement his milk. So then I started using formula more and more. And then he was uh, making too much weight. You know, you couldn't get it right. And I remember going to the doctor and the doctors were lovely at um, Wollstone Medical Centre. They were marvellous, um, really supportive of me. And I remember going because I didn't feel well. I had cold or something or yeah. sore throat. And I remember um, the doctor saying, oh, it's so nice you've had the baby. I bet he's into everything now. And I said, well, no, not really. He's ever so good. I could just sit him in front of the TV and he just sits there. She was concerned. And um, so they, they did all these tests on Michael, Fragile X and all sorts of blood tests. And I remember putting him back in his little position while I went to cook the dinner. Mm. And he was in the hallway. And I thought, how the hell did he do that? This was directly after the blood test. Yeah. So um, he's smarter than he pretends. So I went and put him back where he was and looked through the crack in the door and he rolled. He, rolled. he was getting around to roll. He probably thought, I don't want these needles again. I better start being active. Um, yeah. The Fragile X came back negative, everything was fine. So they testing, I remember, for muscular dystrophy and I was so scared when I looked that up. Yeah, did, did, um, do you remember during this time confiding in Colin and saying yeah, yeah. something's we were wrong? All, and yeah, I've, we were always together on yeah. there because we knew he was now late walking. Right. And we started doing a little thing where we stood in front of each other and standing him up and let him go. And he'd make a step towards each other. So we got him walking by doing that. And he used to go on one of those bouncers in the doorway and just giggle. He used to have a, a laugh like a smurf, like a... 
<laughs> like that. He'd laugh all the time like this. He was always a happy baby. Colin was a little concerned on the eye contact. I wasn't because I thought he'd always looked at me. And then at 10 months, uh, he had his first inoculation, that very first one where they have the hib and diphtheria and whatever. Yeah. And I always remember the doctor saying to me or the nurse, whoever it was, saying, oh, does he get um, colic? And I said, no, what is that? And they said, oh, when he cries and cries and gets a stomachache. And I said, no, he's always been really good. That night, that was it. It's like she implanted that in him. He is and he had listening. The colic. Yeah, I really think he had. He was taking things in. And um, so we gave him that stuff. The, I got that chalky baby stuff. Kind of, yeah, I can't yeah. remember what it was called now. And um, so we had that for this colic. And he was never quite the same after that. And then at 10 months, he got... Uh, one day he woke up and he was floppy. And he suddenly was sick and we rushed him to... Um, Lewisham, within minutes they'd got him wired up with suspected meningitis. At that time I needed glasses for reading, I hadn't brought them along. I've had my eyes lasered since so I can see uh, fine print now but yeah. at the time I couldn't and I didn't notice a rash uh, that was blanching or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, they didn't know, they came back with they didn't know what it was but after that 10 months he was never quite the same. And he definitely did have dyspraxic-like symptoms. He would fall easily. Right. He still falls today easily, which has now been diagnosed as hemiparesis. Right. Um, did it? Was his walking? Did it? Did yes. it look normal? Or did no, it? No. Right. He's never walked normal. I have always suspected that he had cerebral palsy when he first started to walk. And he'd fall. He's never crawled. So he had big problems getting up. And he'd be like the old Harry Enfield show, like, uh, 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 putting his hands out. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlie never crawled either. He just did yeah. this weird golem kind of movement. Yeah. Where, and we always just say, oh, isn't it? You know, kind yeah, of make sweet. a joke out of it. And then yeah. he suddenly just stood up one day. So, yeah, yeah. he also missed those kind of developmental. He, he missed those. And um, we, my friend who's a physiotherapist, said, I really think like the, the screaming, the emotional bit, the crying, um, when he did have a, a bit of a meltdown or whatever, it was all very much like the tick list of dyspraxia. Right. He also had problems he dribbled a lot uh, you couldn't understand him he didn't really speak properly but did that was that a main kind of obviously it's all concern for you but the speaking tends to be but he spoke before he seemed to be saying words like blue blue mum mum blue blue uh, from some game and then he suddenly stopped doing it when did the big a sort of come into michael was at nursery and um, he was very passive. He was attacked three times in an early year's nursery. And um, the speech and language therapist that was there in the OT, who were brilliant at the time, he had no diagnosis, um, but they said, we really think he should go to the communications clinic or the dyspraxia clinic, the, the Nuffield. Oh, yeah. And so we went to the Nuffield and because he's got global delay, they said you can't really have verbal dyspraxia and have global delay, have learning difficulties. Right. Anyway, they weren't going to assess him for a statement. Right. He wasn't autistic yet. We were on the waiting list. And he was global delay and dyspraxia. And I wanted him to go to Perrymount School. Yeah. Because it was flat. 
Uh, that was my only reasoning because I still felt he had um, cerebral palsy and he kept falling. He's constantly falling and he doesn't put his hands out. He lands smack on his face all the time. Right. And, and at this point, and did he was you vulnerable. Think, yeah. No, he did was definitely think not autistic. Right, to in me. your mind, in my yeah. mind, he was no way near autistic. Colin kind of just saw those things on the wall, saying he's got some of those traits, and nah, not not really. I don't think so. Because because the physical was so kind of prominent. The, the physical, physical was too prominent. His hand stuck out. His right foot stuck out. Um, he walked with a wide gait. He did different things. He had lots of different tests. And I needed him to get into Perryman. We went to the communication clinic and I saw Dr. Tony O'Sullivan and Jill Stevens, who was speech and language. Both wonderful. Uh, me very resistant to the whole idea of autism. One notable thing, he never pointed. Never pointed, ever. Wasn't interested. He points now to everything, but he does, didn't point then. And when they came back and they said, well, we think he's autistic. Not ASD, not Asperger's, not high, low, whatever. He is autistic. And I said, well, what about his physical problems? Oh, well, that's all the autism. Because now suddenly I'd lost the dyspraxia diagnosis because yeah. his intelligence wasn't there with the learning difficulties. W which and is, I went mad. Yeah. I, I refused to accept that diagnosis. Well, uh, I didn't I, know that people with autism could have physical yeah, Massive you have physical. lots of comorbidities. You can have lots of comorbidities, but they like to lop you in the same thing. It's all one thing and that's it. And oh, it's yeah, not. Every no, it's child not. is unique with autism. And just like you can have blue eyes, but you can have, you know... Black hair. Red hair, yeah. blue hair, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. And going back to getting him into Perrymount, I got him into Perrymount because I finally got a statement because he was attacked by the same girl three times so badly. He looked, he'd been in a car accident oh and we were going to sue the local authority. <gasps> so they changed their tact and they gave us 18 hours and a statement to get him in Perrymount. He gets his diagnosis of autism, as I said, and we refused that until they had something about his motor skills. So they had autism with fine and gross motor skill planning and execution difficulties. Right. Load of rubbish. But whatever, it stated what was the most obvious problem at that time. Right. Not his autism, his physical problems. How old when, is he at this point? Five and a half. Is he, is he talking more or he's still... Not really, one word, right. one word. And we get him into school. Uh, I mean, from the school, he, they constantly had to watch him. We get the diagnosis and suddenly uh, we got help from the Lewisham Autism Support, Jane and Bev, who came to our house, gave us a wonderful pack which I didn't look at in the beginning because I was still grieving the child that's still the same child, but you go through this grief process because I didn't want him to be autistic like the other, like my godson who was kicking his mum and quite violent. It was freaking me out. It was scaring me. Oh, completely. Um, I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah, I, I just didn't want this diagnosis. Now I realise it was the best diagnosis that he could have, the help we've had and everything. But at that time I was grieving. My husband always thought he had it, but we now looked for the cure, the magical cure. So you're you going all to go the and now into the cure. Now, yeah. In the meantime, the Senko at Perrymount 
did not believe this diagnosis. I also went in and challenged where is his speech and language he's supposed to get? He got it in nursery. It says on his woolly statement, he may, he should, he could get speech and language, but he's not getting it. And I remember nearly having a car accident. I stopped my car and turned around and drove straight to the school when she said, I don't think you care about your son. You're just looking for a label. And I, she intimidated me so much, I felt I couldn't speak to her alone. Yeah, this is Senko, right? This is yeah. the Senko. She made our life hell. Yeah. And I, my friend, who was also an Ipsy, Ipsia, whatever they're called, and had been through the same process with her two sons, came for the review or annual review with the school and what they should put into place. Yeah. And she came and said, you did yourself no favours. After that, it was the most horrendous journey at that time. Yeah. The school was dreadful, but I started to embrace the autistic side, went to lots of courses, went to, you know, the autism NAS courses, yeah, etc. We took the school to tribunal to get the stuff that they were already giving him 24-hour surveillance. Yeah. They couldn't leave him alone because he needed help. Um, and they admitted that. It was for funding for the school, but they had to waste taxpayers' money to defend this with a barrister, everything. Yeah. And me and my Ipsy won. We got specified speech and language from that day on. We got specified occupational therapy by a qualified speech and language therapist and OT in autism. But then when we moved into year four, the teacher was lovely, different Senko, that Senko left, new head, lovely mm. head, a lot more supportive. But we started to realise that the school wasn't the right school for him. The speech and language said it wasn't the right school. OT said, so I tried to get him in drumbeat. Drumbeat said, oh, they can't meet his needs. He needs too much speech and language. Because he was really different. He wasn't pronouncing his words. He's, he does have, you know, problems making himself understood sometimes. He can speak, but, yeah. you know, he's got, got a speech and language disorder. So I wanted it from my case officer. Why is he not being allowed to go to the local special needs school? Yeah. Why is he not allowed to go? I want it in writing. Thank God I got that in writing. So I filed that away. That was in an email. And we now move on to year five. And So he's still at Perry... Yeah, he's yeah. still at Perrymount. He's in year five. And I want him to go to Eagle House. I found Eagle House... I remember them giving us talk to Signal at the time and I thought they were wonderful. During all this time as well, we were still looking for the magical cure. We needed to cure fix, to some fixing, yeah. fixing. You know, we did do some things which changed his behaviour. We took gluten out of his diet, um, which changed his bowel. We gave him lots more fruit and veg. We yeah. didn't pander to the very restrictive diet. We've now introduced gluten, but very right. mildly, because life at 18 is different yeah. than you go out with friends. So I mean, Charlie has a little bit now and then, and you can't yeah, stop because it completely. Otherwise, it affects their stomach. But he has juices made every day from fruit and veg, lots of water. Mm. Um, Such a good mum, He has it in the morning and he has it in the Such evening. Such a great mum. So, well, that's daddy's 
thing, actually. Well, good mum for choosing the, the good dad. <laughs> um, he can get a cold and it's gone the next day. I can get a cold and I'm laid up for a week. Yeah. Anyway. So, so you wanted him to go to Eagle House. So was that, to get him in there, was that pretty... <laughs> Seems yes. word, easy, but no, it wasn't easy. Eagle House was wonderful. Eagle House was extremely supportive. I mean, I looked at lots of schools, and they no, we can't have him. They wouldn't even let us go in. You know, they were really restrictive. Whereas Michael went for a day, and they wrote a letter for us to say that they would accept him, and they could see, and they had speech and language on site. OT on site, psychotherapy on site. They had a full cat team, yeah. team around the child is always there to support yeah. you. So the school is brilliant. I, I cannot fault yeah. anything to do with that school. So just to give a tiny story. So when Charlie was going through the diagnosis period, melting down continuously, sensory overload, I didn't know what to do with him. I didn't know how to cope. You came around to my house yeah. to cut Charlie's hair and he had the most... I was covered in cuts and bruises. Yeah. You saw it immediately. You said he needs to get his diagnosis and he needs to not be in that school and you need to get him to special school. You need OT yeah. on site. You need speech and language on site. And I remember, and it makes me a bit teary to say this, but I remember like the next day you came around to my house with like a big bag of... Oh stuff yeah, all my I, magazine, all the yeah, stuff that and helped me. I was me. like, oh my god, like I find, like I found a person because you don't know it, like yeah. you don't have a friend who. Yeah. And I was like, that's the I point. Said to my you, you're isolated. Time, I've got a friend. Yeah, you're I've isolated. Got a friend who cares? But you're not actually in autism since I've joined the crew. Yeah. Um, it's just totally yeah the eighteen. It's just totally changed my life. I've got new friends. He's got friends. We all understand each other's foibles and yeah. whatever's going on. So it's wonderful, but. So we had a threatened tribunal to get him into into Perrymount. We had an actual tribunal in the city with Perrymount just to get him the provision yeah. that they should have been giving him. But woolly statements create this problem. Now we want him in Eagle House. We're not going to get him there. So I researched a barrister. We thought we'd cut out the middleman with the solicitor. Got a barrister specialising in... Uh, education at the time we then uh, had to get an educational psychologist who came down from um, somewhere up north and she came down to Perrymount and they were doing sex education uh, as a topic so they wouldn't allow her to see Michael in the classroom. Michael was constantly taken out. So it was actually disability discrimination. Yeah. Uh, and it gave Michael the butler syndrome. Having one-to-one -one is not great for your child because it makes them think they have an assistant that does their slave work for them. Right. And that's what happened out of mainstream school for my son. And it yeah. took all this time for Eagle House to get him to work in a group. This teacher banned my ed psych, come a long way, thousand pounds or plus for the yeah. yeah and so I went to the head and I said you are now going to pay she's nice the head I can't knock her she was lovely yeah and I went back to the head and I said this teacher has again jeopardized my son you're now going to have to pay for a revisit to see him 
in action in the classroom. Yeah. And she also paid for the assessment at Brent Knoll because now suddenly the school, the local authority were offering us Brent Knoll. Right. I didn't want Brent Knoll now. You've already said you can't deal with my son and you cannot uh, meet his needs. Now you're offering me Brent Knoll. I found a school that has all the treatment that he needs. And if he was blind, I would want him to have a school that specialised in Braille. If he was deaf, I'd want a school that was able to do sign language. So he's autistic. I want him to have a school that knows how to deal with autism specifically and work with his obsessions and traits and get the best out of him. That's not going to happen in mainstream for my son. No. So we were going to go to court. Um, My barrister, Peter Bibby, I was trying to remember his name, Peter Bibby was absolutely brilliant and um, they folded on the day. And um, so they said, yes, he can go to Eagle House. House. Then they tried to woolly up my statement. I said, no, 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 because I still want to ensure that the school carries out their duties once a week for his 60 minutes. And so we had it still specified, quantified, the hours, the time, everything in the statement. I was Mm. a bit more educated. I was not going to be intimidated by anybody at that point. Eagle House has been the making of him. We've had some ups and downs. Nothing's perfect, but they don't blame the parent. You can work together, point out something, and everything works together. Because most of our children will have a behaviour at home because they're holding it together at school. Or they may have a behaviour at school because they're holding it together at home. Whatever way, you have to join forces and work at the best way uh, as a unified bond. Because a lot of the time with our children, um, it's generalisation across settings. So, for instance, Charlie can use the toilet in one setting and then and they say why it. can't he use it here and I said because he has to learn all over again yeah the process yeah um, they can't transfer one skill to, to another place something yeah. I didn't know and I'm yeah. going why can't you use the toilet you know yeah but then they have fears of toilets hand anyway the hand dryers the sound of the flushing it's all sensory yeah. needs so I've met Michael a few times and he's amazing and he's gives me hope as well you know how far he's come so what does he what what are his interests what does he love what does he struggle mostly with so he's 18 now he's just had his 18th birthday Michael's 18 he had his birthday in July when everything stopped all the social care he was getting we had a really good package with the children and special needs Uh, the children with disabilities team were brilliant brilliant and he used to go to Rockbourne and he used to go to Saturday Club and he learned how to make friends and he's very nurturing he loves helping children that are lesser able than he is and I didn't know what to do and then we had an assessment back in April for the adults team Uh, nothing 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 but I've now suddenly got uh, a wonderful package a bit late missed out summer yeah But my social worker for Michael in the adults team have recognised because his EHC plan, because that got transferred over, his EHC plan states quite clearly he's a sociable child and needs to keep the sociable activities going. Oh, he loves going going out for dinners and lunches. and He likes making friends. He likes friends coming over to play uh, our Xbox with him. He loves going to play. likes dancing. He plays football. I mean, we've always had a very... Busy 
timetable for him because I've seen too many children who lock themselves in the bedroom, parents are downstairs, yeah. not realising what their child's doing online, safety, whatever, yeah. and they end up having this sort of child who becomes agoraphobic, never wants to go out, never wants to do anything. And trust me, they get to 14 and they do start, oh, I'm not going, I won't go, mm -hmm. I'm not doing this, I won't do that. And it takes quite a lot of patience and cajoling to get him to go. And it's mainly anxiety because Michael went through a really bad phase at 14, 15, behavioural uh, like his puberty, hormones, yeah. puberty, still going through puberty, but, yeah. you know, they get hormone surges and he was quite a difficult child at that particular point, wasn't sleeping, was scared of everything, didn't want to go anywhere. And I didn't want things like that to stop. So we have a busy timetable. Monday, he used to go to Rockbourne, now he doesn't. Tuesday, he would go swimming and he used to go trampoline. trampoline. Wednesday, we looked up a youth club, which is absolutely brilliant. Thursday, he goes to football, which we discovered. Uh, Charlton Athletic. Yeah, they do. Is absolutely. The disability. There's only disability. Okay. That Charlton I looked Athletic it for Charlie. on a Thursday is disability. Um, they're fairly full on the adult side now, but they are looking for more on the junior side. Okay, Charlie's got to get in there. He's quite good at. I'll give you the contact. Running. There. It is <laughs> so there. what's the future looking like for Michael? Is he going to live with you? Yes, for the time being. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I really don't want him to go residential. It took too long to get him, um, yeah. you know, with all the things. I mean, um, I am worried about the future. Um, there are things that, you know, I feel... He's always going to need some kind of help. Mm. Today, we're going through quarter protection uh, to protect him on his money because I found out at 18, you know, and they've got a bank account. They want to try and get him to do online banking. And, you know, he'll say yes to anything and everything and give his flipping card away. Yeah. So, and apparently a lot of our kids do things like that. Oh, they're so They're very trusting. vulnerable. Yeah. So we're going to a, a solicitor's called Ewing's who specialise a lot with some other friends of mine, um, their special needs children. We've done our wills with Scope as the trustee okay. so that Scope being a disability organisation know a bit more what our kids need. I, I haven't even but we thought don't about think this of it, yet. But, but I'm 67, uh, I have to think of it, you know. Yeah. So we've set up a lot of things for him. He started travel training with a brilliant guy called Ryan. It's now stopped at the moment because he's gone into, I think it's going to be bought in-house. But Ryan was wonderful. And do you have was, to fund a lot of this stuff yourself no. then? Or do you get we fund like the, the other stuff. Um, it's from the council? From the yeah, this, uh, travel training's from the council. Okay. And Michael now successfully, <laughs> he goes down for the last three weeks. He has been going by himself to the youth club in Downham. He catches the 185, crosses a busy road and then catches That's the 136 awesome. to Valeswood Road and down and crosses again the busy road safely and then walks down the road. The only problem is with Ryan, he was coming home because he couldn't do the travel training to school because it's too far away. It's right, Eagle yeah, House. Eagle House. And yeah. he's, he's in his last year at Eagle yeah. House. He's in sixth form. So it's too far away, but we wanted to not miss this opportunity. So we used the youth club, but as the point of going and coming back. 
but obviously I'm too scared to let him go completely by himself. Does he have a phone? So Mobile. yes, he has the phone, but the trouble is they're not safe. Our kids just stand no. around holding the yeah. phone. And, and he's um, so friendly. Does he have like straight stranger danger training? Like does he been? He, he don't does, talk but to... he's rubbish at that. He, that's one thing. He's really vulnerable. So friendly. So he he goes down. So I then I mean for the last three weeks of training with Ryan, uh, Ryan was somewhere, but not actually where he could see him uh, and incognito. Right. Whereas with me, I let him walk down the road to the co-op. He goes into the shop to buy something, mm. uh, comes out, catches the 185. He's learnt from Ryan to sit downstairs and near the driver because yeah. otherwise he'd want to be upstairs. That's one great thing. Um, and he goes in a bright orange jacket when he's going there so I can see him on the bus as I'm driving past and tracking him. And he also travel trains to boxing on a Saturday. Oh, does boxing. And Colin, huh? yeah, it's one-to-one. Um, nobody hits him, right. but it's really good crossing your midline. Yeah. Across your midline, it helps your brain quite a lot. It's helped his balance quite a lot. Uh, it's helped his independence. And again, yeah. Colin lets him on the P4 and then meets him the other end. So I think for people listening, for parents listening, I think your story is one of massive hope because, yeah, I can't imagine Charlie doing all these things now. I'm... But I can't. I could never have imagined yeah. him doing that. Yeah, doing the travel trip. I'm still too scared to let him go because, on Halloween, I'd let him walk down the road, and I'm just calling the club, telling them, please, uh, tell him he's got to wait for me to come home. Blah blah blah. And and they said, oh God, is he outside? Because there's 50 marauding kids who were at. They were all nightmares that night. All throwing fireworks oh, at God, each Charlie other. It was fireworks. an absolute dreadful in Downham that night. It was like all hell broke loose in the shops and oh, everywhere. And he walked past them. Luckily, he didn't have his phone on, but he had a torch, looking quite odd. So they quickly got him in and I think it worried him a bit he had a little yeah. bit of a blip the next day a bit of a meltdown but he was all right in the end and he's been going again so he's fine bless him I hope for him to work he's done a yeah stint. what do you hope for him in the future oh any job that he could do really um he's going to go to Lewisham College I, he had a really successful interview I want him to study as much as and do some voluntary work can um, he read he can read oh yeah he yeah, can read, he can read. He thinks he wants to be a bus driver or a football player. It's going to be quite hard. Or an air, airline pilot. He yes, has, Michael. He has um, colour blindness, so that's going to be ruled out. But I got him a stint voluntary for two weeks in the summer at the bus garage and they wrote him a lovely reference. He loves all the drivers. Is that the one in Bellingham? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were lovely. Um, he works at Cafe Blur at the school. They have their own facilities, like as a shop, yeah. um, as a cafe, and he also works at Sear, the gardening centre. Mm. So I think Lewisham College will give him a good taster of some employment. And self-care, like he, does he like um, make his bed and he's quite easy to make himself a cup he's of tea? He's not very good. He's a, boy, he's a t teenage boy, yeah, though, He's not he? very good at, at making his bed. I make him help me, but, you know. Uh, Can he make himself? He, not really. Does he get his own drinks and he stuff? He does but he loves act mill and that's all he'll get and biscuits. biscuits left to his own diet he'll go for rubbish 
he's always going to need to be told what sort of clothes he needs to put on yeah. in the weather. Right. You know, he has to be reminded to go to the toilet. Right. He'd hold himself bow-wise if he could, right. making it worse. You know, those are things that worry me for the future. Um, well, this is an everyday, like, people just don't think about, like, that it's like this, but it's like, he can do all these things, but he needs to be reminded all the time to, to yeah, actually do them. Yeah, it's a constant thing. Yeah. It's a constant thing. So, the last question I want to ask you is, um, when you tell people your son is autistic, what would you want their reaction to be? To understand him. To be, you know, not judging him. You know, I mean, I've pulled some people up, I'm quite quick to tell them, you know, if they think he's being a bit odd or whatever. I've got the bravery now after all the fights I've been through to come back at them quite quick. Mm. I just wish people were more informed. And like I told that first teacher with the pack I got from the NAS to educate these kids, just like you educate them, you know, about colour and religion and all of this Educate them early because our kids, when they're born, do not have racism, do not have hatred in their heart. They like everybody as they are. And then as they grow older, they turn out like their parents, you know. And if they're hearing stuff at home, they are, you know, not getting the right guidance. You as the school should be teaching them. We're only frightened about things we don't understand. Yeah, yeah. This is it. Yeah. But, you and know, what's he loves everybody. I mean, he's yeah. got all what's sorts he taught of disability. You? What's he taught you? Kindness, patience, which I haven't got. He's, he's He kind of disarms you, you know. You, he can have done something really silly and you can say something and the next minute he comes back with something quite sweet or he'll text me something really sweet and make me think. Mm. He is. He does bring that out at me as well. Like when I met him, you're just like... Yeah. Yeah, you're disarmed. You're just he's yeah. just so pure. Yeah, yeah. He is very much he's, like that. He's gorgeous and he is a Yeah. He's a wonderful and he's boy and that's because of you. And me join so many new people, meet so many lovely yeah. people really. And I feel a bigger well, club. I was scared thanks, of being Carolina. isolated. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I know a lot of people will be helped by hearing your story. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. To learn more about autism, you can visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. This podcast was created, written and edit produced by me, Maisie Clater. And the music that you hear in this podcast was written and produced by Kit Milsom, who also records and edits the show. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us.